Welcome to Big Innings, America's Cricket Podcast. I'm once again joined by my partner and MVP, Amin Patel. Amin, how was your week? It was a great weekend, Nate. Uh, glad to be back here, but UNC won. The Patriots have the number three overall pick, and the UNC basketball team looks to be back. So it's a good place to be in. You're celebrating how terrible the Patriots are. you got to have a little more shame than that. You're just not used to this. I'm 20 years old, so I know nothing but the Patriots going to six Super Bowls or winning six Super Bowls. So this is a new territory for me, for sure. Well, I'm going to introduce uh, a fellow Giants fan here. Uh, we're just a couple of days removed from the U19 Women's Nationals and the USA Cricket AGM. And we couldn't be happier to introduce our friend, writer, expert, commentator, and OG GOAT, Peter De La Pena. Peter, welcome to our wonderful show. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, well, this is the second time, really. You did our, our video version, uh, our YouTube version, down in uh, in Texas after the very first Major League Cricket cricket game. That was uh, that was that was really fun. I'm not dressed nearly as good now as I was on that night. I can tell you that much. Well, neither are we, and this is why this is an audio pod. Well, or or am I dressed at all? It's an audio pod. You never know. Well, at least you have a. It's, it's, after, your imagination. it's after it's after midnight. I don't. I, you know. Don't think about it too hard, guys. Don't think about it too. The, hard. You're only seeing the camera from from waist up. Do I have pajamas on? You know. I don't. How... I don't care, Peter. All that matters is I can see both of your hands. So, Peter. Yep, we were just talking about the the Patriots try, trying to battle against the Giants uh, once again, battling the Giants, but this time for or the second position in the NFL draft. Um, yeah, so we've just had a miserable um, NFL season, haven't we? Well, I've, I've enjoyed it just because betting against the Giants is the surest bet on the uh, the odds market right now. I made quite a lot of money taking the Cowboys minus 17 and a half yesterday, Nate. Well, you sure did. You should have bet on the that Cowboys. Was, different. That was a bet the farm game, Nate. Those don't come up very often throughout the course of the season, and already the Giants have had several bet the farm games. You can make a good chunk of money against the Giants this year. That's the... One positive I can say about the Giants on my end, anyway. Yeah, I think I, I think uh, all us Giants fans know that you can bet pretty surely against the Giants right now. That that's for, it's a sure bet. I've had a couple of people ask me what are my thoughts about the Giants. I'm like, yeah, they're they're not going to win, uh, and they're not going to cover the spread. Let's get into the women's nationals, the women's U19 nationals. They transpired since our last episode with Sidhu Sriharsha, USA women's captain. The West won in a 3-0 landslide. But the games were fairly close, though low scoring. Um, Peter, how much of that did you get to take in, and what are your thoughts about that? I watched a little bit. I didn't watch every single ball, but I did watch some of the matches. And my takeaway is kind of the same takeaway I've had for several years now at these under-19 or women's national championships in general. And it's just a frustration from my standpoint of the lack of aggression and the lack of willingness to even try to to hit boundaries or to hit sixes. You know, T20 cricket, a lot of the coaches who are at academies around the country really stressed staying at the crease. And the old adage, oh, you can't score runs if you're back in the pavilion or back in the dugout or whatever. And, and the mentality that's stressed to a lot of kids, both boys and girls, this is not a female-specific issue, but the mentality that's taught to a lot of kids at a formative age is, Whatever you do, don't get out. And very few coaches have a mentality in an era when, realistically speaking, on the women's side, definitely, they're only going to be getting opportunities to play in T20 World Cups. 
right playing yeah. 50 over world cup for the usa women is just not happening we have to be honest about that t20 world cup can be a realistic goal that they can achieve and even on the men's side okay realistically speaking to qualify for a 50 over world cup even with the number of teams expanded to 14 it's a very very far-fetched vision whereas USA, we don't even have to dream about qualifying for a T20 World Cup. They're in the T20 World Cup next year. Right. Okay. The the coaching, though, at a local level hasn't really caught up in terms of shifting and transforming the approach to really raise kids with an attitude and a mentality to be aggressive and to play T20 cricket with a, a, a mindset of, I want to go up and... With every ball I face, I want to score as many runs as I can off that ball as I possibly can. And, and this is something that Mark Law has talked about in interviews before. And you hear, I, I want to say Brian, Brian Lara said something similar in interviews where hit their mentality was, how many runs can I score off this ball? Can I hit this ball for six? Can I hit this ball for four? If I can't hit right. this ball for four, can I get it for three? If I can't get it for three, can I hit it for two somewhere around the square? If I can't get it for two, can I at least get off strike? Playing it for a dot ball is their last resort. Playing right. it to defend and to keep out and protect your wicket, that's their last resort. And instead, you come across a lot of kids in the U.S. who are developed at a lot of the academies that have popped up around the country, and their mentality is keeping the ball out is objective number one. And scoring off the ball is much further down the list. And so to get back to the original point of the question, you see that come out. In these events and what's so frustrating for me watching whether in person or w watching from a distance is the fact that you have especially the players who have represented usa whether at senior level or women's under 19 level when they're coming back down to a domestic event they should be destroying everybody they should be ruthless okay right one of the things these kids learned when you talk to them Again, both on the, the men's side and the women's side. Going back to 2010, the last time the USA was in the Under-19 World Cup, and talking to some of the players who were in the women's side down in South Africa in January at the Women's Under-19 World Cup, you talk to them, what do you learn? And they say, wow, now I know what good bowling is. I thought I was facing good bowling in Texas or in California. Right. And Jesus, I saw this Australian bowler, or I saw this Bangladeshi bowler. Now I know what good bowling is. Where they go, they go to the qualifier, the senior women's qualifier in the UAE last year, and they're facing Catherine Bryce, and um, you know they're they're facing the Thailand bowlers, and they're facing uh, some of the Bangladeshi bowlers at the qualifier, and it's oh now I know what good bowling is at at women's level, and now I know what a challenge is, and boy you know when I go back to to California, Texas, now I understand hey this is not good bowling. Okay, and and the point is they should be dominating. You know, you should not be seeing a handful of strike rates over 100. You know, Chaitna Reddy, Pagi Dial on the final day scored a half century, 59 off 52 balls. Okay, that was the exception to the rule. And remember, she's only 15. She's only just become eligible. You should be seeing a lot more players who have played in the Under-19 World Cup, who have played for the women's team, who come back to domestic level. They should be ruthless. They should be destroying their domestic counterparts. And, and on the flip side, if they're not taking that approach, what are the other players that are kind of on the fringe? What are they learning? Yeah. If, they, if they're not being attacked, okay, if, if, if your player X, I don't want to pick single anybody out, okay, 
But if you're player X who's played for USA and you're not targeting players at domestic level who have not played for USA, for example, you're not putting anybody under pressure. You're not putting yourself under pressure to try and score and to up the ante. Right. And and to lay targets and challenges for yourself. Arguably more important and more worrying, you're not putting pressure on that fringe player to really be exposed to a, a higher level challenge. Oh, gee, you know, I don't think there's a lot of players, bowlers in particular, who, who leave an event like this, who go to themselves thinking, oh, I was really challenged by that USA national team player. Sure. Like, you know, that USA national team player, I couldn't get them out. But co- on consequently, on the flip side, I also, in spite of not getting them out, I actually wasn't really challenged that much by the USA national team player because they weren't trying to hit me for four. When I bowled a loose ball, they didn't punish me. My figures should be like none for 40. And it said my numbers are, are my figures are none for 22 off of four overs. Right. So all, all these things add up. And just for the, the USA ecosystem, you want to see more progress in that regard where players are being put under more pressure. There's more challenges being presented. And players who have been at a higher level come down and they say, you know what, I'm going to set an example for all the other players here to show this is how you beat up on bower number four, bower number five. This is how you take on bower number one, bower number two, and show that you can score. And the fact that they're not doing these things two years down the line, three years down the line after having gotten senior team experience going back to making their debuts in October 2021 in Mexico, that to me is a worrying sign that they're, they're still a bit too comfortable. Yeah. And not being challenged, it's, oh, I don't have to look over my shoulder. My spot isn't under threat. I'm not I'm not being challenged. Nobody's challenging me. I don't have to really exert myself um, to really feel like I've got to keep my spot. And until more players are being put under pressure or producing that pressure, my fear is that you're going to see players stagnate. They're not going to improve much. And the whole national team culture, as a consequence, is not going to grow at the rate that it really should be. Yeah, and and Amon, you and me, Peter, we all know coaches in the USA that teach these kids the fundamentals from from the time that they start playing the game that absolutely loathe the format in the first place. A lot of these coaches, just the old school guys, they hate the T20 format. How do you expect to, to learn T20 from a guy who hates the format and thinks it's a crappy version of the sport, who, who thinks it's a you know, a, a worse version of the sport than the thing that they grew up loving. And how are we expecting these kids to learn these tactics? And another thing is, it's not just the batting attitude, it's the knowledge of how to play the format overall. All three first innings in this tournament ended with a, with a dot ball. No wicket, no run. All three first innings ended with a dot ball. Oh, dude, I just watched that, watching that when that happened. Ended with a dot ball, and, and it was a swing and a miss, and no, no even attempt to run a bye. Run the bye, run the bye. Just yeah. the whole attitude of we can end on 90 for three. We can end with seven wickets in hand and not attempt to buy it. And, and that just it totally typifies the lack of aggression and the lack of challenge. Yeah. Lack of being challenged. And that to me is the most frustrating thing. It's, yeah. uh, I, I'll be c- content ending eight not out or 12 not out with seven wickets in hand. And it, my own solution. I doubt anybody would would take this up. Is if you're at you know you know if you're at twenty balls or twenty five balls if if you want to take it twenty five balls whatever but twenty balls if you've been out of the crease for twenty balls and your strike rate at the end of twenty balls is not over hundred 
we'll retire you out and we'll have somebody else come to bed. And because you know what? It's not fair to the number five, six, seven, eight batters who are waiting who may want an opportunity to show what they can do to watch a teammate hog time of the crease without actually doing anything. All right. And and that in itself, I feel, will put pressure. Might be an artificial way of putting pressure on, but it'll put pressure on them to say, hey, you can't just play like you're doing practice in the mirror and show everybody what a wonderful technique you have. Oh, you've been practicing so much in the nets and your forward stride. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's straight out of the text. But you're 12 off 20 balls and you might you might wind up 28 off of 50 balls. Well, that's not going to win any matches. A, B, we're, we're denying kids an opportunity to see what they might be able to do if you got out of the way. I would be for putting that bit of artificial pressure in, and I've written this before, to say, hey, if you get to 20 balls or 25 balls, whatever it is, 25 balls, that would be more than 20% of a T20 innings, a team innings. So you've been if you've faced more than 20% of the balls and you can't get to a run of ball, politely, we're going to have to retire you out and we'll see what somebody else can do. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. They shouldn't put the weight on the batting averages and things like that. That doesn't matter in this format, especially, you know, if you're ending with four or five wickets down and you're not hustling those last three or four overs, there's something wrong, you know? I think as a selector, I'm going to look at the person's attitude. You know, the, so the selectors are there. They're watching the games, right? They're not going to look at the score sheet and make their decision because you had an average of 44, but your strike rate was 75. We only had three girls, I think, um, with averages over 90 in the tournament. Well, um, I'm sorry, with strike rates over 90 in the tournament. And that's something that, you know, we have to look at. But yeah, run that last, run it out. You know, the games are going to end closely, probably. I've always loved the idea of just running out the last ball until somebody gets out. Make them make a mistake. You know, that that last wicket shouldn't even count against the bat batter's average, you know. On the bright side, I want to point out, in the America's qualifiers, you asked Charlotte Dickinson about what she was trying to get the girls to do, with the women to do, how she wanted to see them play the game. And one of the things that she pointed out was for the first six overs, she wants to see them rotate strike, you know, not take a ton of chances, just get off strike, keep keep the uh, scoreboard ticking. And I think that they actually did that pretty well in the first six uh, overs. In those six innings, they there was only an average of 1.5 wickets per, uh, per power play. So I think the girls did a good job at, at that. But there was no second gear. There was no third gear. There was no ramping it up at the end. A lot of the final five, six overs ended in single digits, almost all of them. It, there's there's a long way to go. But, you know, and right now, this program is young. If you're a young woman playing cricket, you got a great chance of making the women's national team right now. We just need some people to have an attitude change. And distinguish yourself with your attitude. Show everyone that you are the most aggressive person out there. Yeah, and I think... Uh... You know, the person who did that was Chidler Reddy Bucket. Yeah, I think she was the highlight of the tournament. And you understand why people like Sindushi Harsha has been talking so highly of her. I spoke to her at uh, the Without in Houston, and she was a huge fan of her. So they've, they've known about her since she was about 13 years old, and they've been waiting for her to become eligible and be able to show herself. And you know, I think as you see more and more people become eligible, you're going to see more people like Chidna come up and really do things. And she's your kind of... Nosh Kenjige, Ali Sheikh from the women's perspective. Left arm um, with the ball in hand, bash from the left side as well, and then a gun in the field. And so it affects the game in all three levels. Um, and Peter, I think you're right also. You know, I've been down there for a lot of these women's nationals for the past couple of years. And oftentimes, you know, they're talking about 100 is where they're like, if they get to 100, the game's over from there. And you're like, that can't be the goal just to get to 100. It's got to be, let's go and push. And you'll see a lot of people take 
three or four overs before they start to get runs. And I think there's there's can be two problems in the sense of sometimes it's the lack of an ability to do that, and then sometimes it's the lack of the intent. And I think a lot of times, as you mentioned, there's a lot of people with the lack of intent. We've seen it happen where people can go in and hit the ball around, and then they come back to these nationals, and they just say, I'm going to occupy the crease. Then there's others who maybe need that time to get going, and you understand it from that perspective. But some of these players who have that more experienced role have to do that, and it's good to see someone from a young side to go and say, hey, you know, as like Jed say, hey, look, may- maybe you guys aren't doing it at the senior level or the more experienced people aren't doing it, but I'm going to sit here and do it, and you get more and more cricketers like that to come through. It'll m- make the team better and make the-, the games better for women in general in the country. Well, and just to your point about what the instructions are or what the strategy is, and you say, yeah, you hear coaches or you hear team leadership, whether that's captain coaches, whatever, at these events say, we want to get to 100. What does that achieve? Okay, you're going to win the match on the day. We're going to get to 100 because we think the other team, as long as we don't bowl wise, and, and this is how basic the strategy is. And, and again, I'm not trying to be overly critical or negative or, or offend anybody, but you look at a lot of these women's matches at the current state of the level of play that exists in the U.S., and a large percentage of matches are won by the team that bowls fewer wides because there aren't a lot of runs scored off the bat. So as long as you limit your extras in the field, limit your mistakes in the field, you know that the other team, when they're batting, they're not going to be aggressive hitting the ball to try and score off the bat. Objective number one is don't get out. Oftentimes, Yiddings consists of just praying, strategy-wise, that the the bowling is weak or loose, and they're going to provide you 25, 30, 40 wise, and that'll get you past 100. By pure math, that means you'd only have to score off one of every two balls off the bat. If you score 60 runs off the bat, or 65 runs, you're scoring at a 50 strike rate off the bat, and you're hoping for 35 wides, maybe a couple no balls, that'll get you to your 100, and you're going to win the game. So what do you achieve? You win the game on the day. All right, fantastic. Well done. Good for you. Pat on the back. What are you achieving in the long term, though? Right, right. What kind of habit does that set? Yeah, and this is this is the greater concern. If, you know, Nate, you said it's early in the in the ecosystem of U.S. women's cricket. Yeah, it's only existed properly for maybe three, four years, right? Ever since all the work that Julia Price in particular did to kind of lay the structure down in place. You don't want these bad habits to develop early. This is the time when you yeah, kill off the bad habits to prevent them from forming in the first place. You don't want to be 10 years, 15 years down the line saying, oh, well, for the last 15 years, uh, the strategy has been just get to 100 and you win the game. And, and you're not developing skills. Right. You're, not de- you're developing wider strategic learning and strategic approaches that are going to set you up for success when you get to international level. Because again... If you're if you're praying to beat Thailand, because, oh, what's the strategy to beat Thailand? Let's just not bowl as many wides as them. Well, well, guess right. what? You're never going to win that game, okay? Because Thailand's never going to bowl more than five wides. Yeah. And <laughs> beyond that, separate from that, Thailand is going to come after you. They're going to attack you with the bat. Thailand isn't going to sit back and say to themselves, "We're going to pray for USA to bowl ten wides or twenty wides." Sure. Thailand's batters are in the mode where they will attack you. They'll pick out the weak link and attack. So the point I'm trying to make is too often the mentality at these events is focused on what's happening on the field on that day. And they're not thinking about 
developing players for a bigger objective, a, a, a bigger mission, a, a more important objective that'll benefit the greater good of not just the player themselves, but U.S. cricket as a whole. Right. So, yeah. When you when you get to these events, and and if if that's the case, and the coaches are saying, or the team leadership is saying, let's just get to 100, that just kind of reinforces what I feel is a negative mentality that doesn't grow or move women's cricket forward in the country. They need to be taking a more forward-thinking approach of, let's not play for 100. Let's. This is the time at the domestic event to be practicing, you know, shuffling across the street, trying to pull the ball behind square. You know, this is the time to try and maybe try a reverse sweep, or maybe this is the time where I'm going to leave my crease. I'm going to skip down the, the the wicket, and then I'm going to try and hit sixes. And we've yeah. seen a player like Ritu Singh do that in the past. We've seen Giovanna Aris do that earlier in the summer at the women's tournament down in Texas. Aman, you were there for that. You want to see those things at the Mexico because that's where you build the confidence, and you sure. you can try all those things out. Especially if you are a national team player, and like right. you're, you don't have you don't have to look over your shoulder because there isn't really a lot of pressure coming up from behind you right now. It's not a lot, right? Yeah. Okay, and you see those things out of somebody like a Ritu Singh, and guess what? When she was in Los Angeles playing for the USA women, because she has trialed those things out at domestic events, guess what? She was one of the few players who was willing to leave the crease to come down the track to try and smash Canada bowlers, Argentina bowlers for six. And she was a huge cornerstone of success for USA in that tournament. And all you have to do is look back at the foundation she's built at domestic level, where she is one of the few players who is willing to experiment, who is willing to get out of her comfort zone, to say, I'm going to try something here that I wouldn't maybe ordinarily do, but I want to see if it works. And if, I, yeah. if it works here, I know I can succeed with it at the next stage. And I would like to see more of that from other players, not just thinking about today, but thinking about the bigger picture in mind. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, it's it's not it's not that different from youth ice hockey. You played ice hockey growing up, right? So you know there's an age group in youth ice hockey where if you can lift the puck, and, and get it into the top of the net, you're going to freaking dominate, right? Uh, but but this, that skill is only going to take you so far for so Hey, man, years. those goalies, when they're only three foot five, man, why don't you do anything else, Nate? When the goalies are just laying on the ice, like they do with a certain age, they just can't wait to dive, get the puck over their shoulder. You know, they, they know they're going to stop 90% of the kids who can't lift the puck up. But if you can get the puck up, you're dominating. It's the same in soccer, you know. When the kids are only yeah. four foot, four foot two, you just go for the top corner of the net, Nate. The, the soccer net doesn't change in size. The ho- ice hockey net doesn't change in size. You, right. You go near a killer, Nate. Come on. But but at a certain level, everybody can lift the puck. And now you gotta you gotta separate yourself some other way. And that's the kind of the way this is right now. The girls, yes, at a certain level, everyone can keep the ball out. You know, at a certain level, everybody can keep the ball. That's the person that's looking to looking to maximize each ball. That's gonna that's gonna separate themselves at a certain level, and and I think I think maybe this might be just a, a symptom of all of these girls that are in this tournament when they go back and they play in regular domestic leagues and stuff like that. They're probably batting at the top of the order. They're probably seeing you know the new ball off, and they're probably just easing themselves in every single time. So that just compounds what they're being taught and, and digs a little bit bigger hole. And we just don't have the depth yet to develop the roles. I think, and that's not that uncommon. Right now, I think we're just seeing like a really raw version of that problem kind of amplified by the coaches who don't like the T20 format in the first place. The the Not the not the national team coaches. I'm not talking about Charlotte. I think she's actually listening to what she's said with you 
when you've inter- when you've interviewed her post games, I think she's got her head screwed on really well. I, I I think that she's a good coach. I'm talking about the the people who are training them at the academies that we've just talked about. But yeah, I think that these these things combine to make a, a perfect storm that's tough to untangle by the time the national coach gets their hands on them. Nate, you mentioned that maybe they're facing the, the new ball top of the order. I think it might be just op- the opposite issue. A lot of these girls don't go back to girls' leagues. They, they go back to playing with um, the boys and you know, with coaches and certain times they are pushed down to the lower of the order. Now, it's less about go score and more about go, hey, just hang on to your wicket, hold on to your end. And you know sometimes that can create an issue and then you're not taught to go and expand. So I think the more girls we see start to play and the more chances you get to play against other girls, that's when you'll start to get these uh, the diversity in terms of roles. And now I can go and try some new stuff because I'm playing amongst my peers. I think that also creates the issue as to why you know some of these these young girls aren't experimenting in that way at the domestic and uh, club level when they play back home. That's an awesome point, and that just goes back to our conversation with Sindhu from last week. So, and I, I've seen that. I witnessed that firsthand. I'm gonna hit it right on the head. I mean, I personally witnessed Isani Bagella play a match in Northern California a couple of years ago, where she was playing with a men's team, and she was sent in at I think six or seven, and she was basically told, "All we want you to do is get a single to get off strike, so that other guy who's six foot four and two hundred fifty pounds can hit sixes." <laughs> and, you know, if if that's the instruction, yeah, realistically, is she being put in situations and scenarios? You want them to play, you want girls to play against men and, and boys. That'll help them improve in terms of, especially on the bowling side, they're going to face more challenging bowling. And a lot of girls and women do that. That's that's uh, something that was even brought up in the AGM by Nadia Gruney, advocating for more girls to be playing in boys' cricket, age group cricket in particular. There's the provision that I thought it was a great idea to have um under 16 under 17 girls they want to place them into the under 15 boys national tournaments going forward to help develop their skills which i think is a tremendous idea and you see that happening at a local level but yeah the other side of the coin is what Amon said they they go into a match scenario and instead of getting a chance to learn side by side kind of at a similar type of progression with the male players they're they're being put in a backseat position and and they really have to scratch and fight and claw their way to to really get opportunities in that scenario to prove themselves. So it's a it's a chicken versus the egg kind of thing, you know. Which comes first? How do you, how do you solve this? And it's very challenging. Let's go right into that AGM, uh, Peter and and Amon. That was pretty long. It was two hours long. They didn't allow questions at the end. They asked to, to submit them ahead of time. And I'll tell you what, ahead of time, I didn't have really any questions. Afterwards, I had about 100. That's the way it usually goes, isn't it, Nate? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah it, was, it was interesting. And now, I, I got to point out some of the highlights here. They said they cleared $700,000 in debt. They might even be in a surplus by the end of the year. They are striving to become compliant with the USOC, which is a good thing. But that's going to require, apparently, changes to the Constitution, which um, we'll see if that's a good thing. It's um I, I hope they take advantage of this to, to to make the constitution better. You know, I hope they take opportunity to to improve things. We've had a few years to learn to learn what the weaknesses of the constitution are. I, I don't think they need to get too creative. I think they just need to address some of the some of the holes. What do you think there, Peter? Oh, there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, first the the financial situation there is some positives. The fact that they're out of debt, so they say which is a good thing. Uh, 
how some of those financials were divided, though, were a cause for raising some eyebrows in my mind. If you looked at the sanctioning fees, the sanctioning fees, I, I believe, went from somewhere around 140, 150,000 all the way up past 660,000 from 2022 to 2023. Now, I've been told USA Cricket got somewhere in the neighborhood of $500,000 as the sanctioning fee from Cricket West Indies for hosting India in those two matches in Florida because they made way more than that in terms of gate revenue and other sponsorship revenue. And in the past, USA Cricket had charged a much more modest sanctioning fee from either the BCCI or Cricket West Indies to play those T20s in Florida as a neutral side venue. And I think USA Cricket finally caught on to the fact that they were really underselling themselves in the past for what they were charging for a sanctioning. I want to say it was around $100,000 or $125,000 per game. This year, from what I understand, it was $250,000 per game or thereabouts that they got from Cricket West Indies. So the fact that USA is monetizing that is good for USA Cricket uh, if, if that can help them generate some revenue. On the flip side, okay, the sponsorship numbers. Sponsorship numbers went from around, I think it was $300,000 or thereabouts to less than $100,000. USA, it was announced, was going to co-host the T20 World Cup a while ago. This is this has been something that's been in the cards for quite some time. You've got the Olympics now on the horizon in 2028. For USA Cricket to have a more than 66% revenue drop in sponsorship in a year going into co-hosting a T20 World Cup, and in a year where it's just been announced that they're going to be hosting the Olympics in a four years' time, four and a half years' time, that's a major red flag to me. What is happening that USA's Cricket's sponsorships agreements are trending so severely in the wrong direction. I don't understand how that can be happening when you've got so many outlets for generating revenue and the fact that you have had MLC this summer as well. I mean, there's so many outlets and opportunities for exposure to be had. You had the Cricket World Cup qualifier. Again, that was a, a worldwide televised event that had much more exposure than the standard matches that were played in Cricket World Cup League 2. Okay, so you had the opportunity to have a sponsor get big exposure while the team was in Zimbabwe. You've got opportunities for the team building up to the T20 World Cup they're going to be hosting. And the fact that their sponsorship revenue has gone so far south, that to me is an indictment of the leadership of cricket in this country. And that's something that needs to be fixed very, very quickly. And and to build on top of that, we've talked about this before off air plenty of times, and I'm sure we're not the only ones. The fact that, again, USA, it's been known they're going to be co-hosting the World Cup in 2024. USA has not had a T20I on home soil since the Ireland matches, you know, in December 2021. So you're going to have, now they outlined, oh, we're going to try and host a, a bilateral or a tri-series in May, three weeks before the start of the World Cup. Okay, that was unveiled in the AGM. No confirmed teams, though. That's, at this point in time, it's purely a hypothetical. What has gone wrong? What has happened in terms of the leadership in this country that between December 2021 and June 2024, when the World Cup happens on U.S. soil, USA potentially may have had zero T20Is that they've hosted. That's an extreme indictment of the leadership in this country. And, and it shoots a big hole in the argument of, oh, Americans will buy into T20 cricket. T20 cricket is the future. T20 cricket is the way forward. And it's, it's an easier sell. It's so hard to, to get sponsorship and revenue for those other formats. But T20 is the way. And yet, with everything going for 
T20 cricket and, and especially on US soil, this is the perilous position that USA is in sponsorship-wise. It, it's really disappointing. To, to kind of be fair to USA, maybe overly fair, I'm sure. Uh, maybe, you know, we did see, like you said, the money improved a little bit. The categories where the money went changed quite a bit. The category that dipped that we're talking about now is the sponsorship category. They haven't, when was the last time they had a real CEO, I mean, a CEO? That's kind of the CEO's job, isn't it? To 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 get sponsorship. That's kind of what they're there for, is to pull in revenue like that. Maybe also, they're just spread a little bit too thin. And maybe all of their efforts are going into bringing in money from this direction and nothing's going towards towards sponsorship. That obviously, I... I think that they should be prioritizing sponsorship. I think that that should be a priority. It, what what kind of worries me a little bit more than that was they didn't break down the seven hundred thousand dollar other category from twenty 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 two. The it was the third highest category was was this category called other. I'd like I like to be the other. Please include me in other. I, I want to be other. If, if that's how much money gets spent on other, I mean that was that I'll was take a piece as well, Peter. I'll take yeah. a piece there with you. Why not? <laughs> There were Mary 10 Brad categories Brad. covered. There were 10 categories covered. One of them was other. So you 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 mean to tell me that there is a, there is a category with so much so many so much variables that <laughs> it doesn't fall into any one of those categories, but it, it includes itself so many different categories that are small enough to not measure up to the lowest of the other categories. I'm you know, like maybe crazy. maybe food was in there. Maybe just that they didn't want to admit the fact that they they've spent uh, an awful lot of money on food. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's <laughs> I don't know. But I yeah. It's, there's that was a, that was strange. I mean, I yeah. Most other places where you see things itemized, other would take up the smallest if it's just so minuscule and, and insignificant. The fact that other was more than seven hundred thousand dollars. Again, that's something that you raise your eyebrow and, and say, "Ooh, you know." Please, yeah. If you're gonna spend two hours going over some very, very what might be to some people in unimportant, you know, minutia about governance and all this other stuff that you know is the equivalent of your fine print terms and conditions and you know whatever you have to sign and this and that and all sorts of things that you come across in life, you know, they they took all the time in the world to explain that stuff, which I'm sure. A few people might have dozed off during, but the the stuff that was maybe a bit more topical that would make people want to sit up and pay attention and find out where things are being spent. And you know, this this is again, it's the national governing body. These are these are your American tax dollars. These are your American cricket dollars being spent. Where is it being spent? I'd li- I'd like to know. And we didn't get to know, you know where where the other was, especially like you said, considering it's such a huge chunk of it. I think the other thing, you know, you talked about the CEO and how much that might impact sponsorships. I do agree with you on that. What I would also say, though, is that like a lot of things in life, it's it's a lot easier to, or it's a lot tougher to get something to begin with than it is to lose it, okay? And, and then what I mean by that is, you know, we could say in the national team, it's a lot harder to get into the national team in the first place than it is to lose your spot in the national team, judging by the performance of certain players, we don't need to go into at this point in time, but hey, it's a it's a lot harder to sign that sponsorship agreement in the first place than it is to lose it. Generally speaking, you come across sponsors, and more often than not, in various walks of life, once you get a sponsor to be to begin with, it's very hard to get that initial contract, initial agreement. But 
more often than not, once that happens, sponsors will re-up and re-up and re-up for many, many years, over and over and over. I mean, um, can use North Carolina basketball as an example, or you go to an Orioles games, whatever. The, the whoever is lining the arena in the Dean Dome in terms of who, who are the, the sponsors for UNC basketball, they don't change from year to year. There might, there's very little turnover. You know, the same car sponsor for UNC basketball has been the same car sponsor probably for the last 10, 20, 30 years maybe. Um, you, know, you go up and down the list, all sorts of different sponsors, whatever promotional sponsors are done at the TV timeouts, very often, very very rarely do those things change. So what, what to me, to get back to the original point, what's, what's alarming to me is the fact that, yeah, it's tough to get a sponsorship agreement in the first place. USA had that with Sistar Mortgage. They had that with Newbury. They had that with one or two other agreements they had in place. And the fact that those agreements fell apart so quickly, you know, T10 Sports, whoever, whoever was their kit provider, there was, there was the, the equipment sponsorship was, was with Newbury. And then they had the jersey, the kit deal that, where they had an online store that was started up. To have all three of those deals effectively end all at the same time, that's a concern for me. That should not be happening. If you're a robust organization, you should be able to re-up and renew your sponsorship deals once you get them in place. And the fact that those deals did not get renewed is a major concern for me, especially with Sistar, because Sistar, that deal stood out in particular because they not only were sponsoring the national teams at international level, but they made a very public pledge to support women's domestic cricket, and they were high on grassroots, but especially on the women's side. And the fact that the women's national championships had a sponsor, but the men's national championships did not have a sponsor. That was quite a standout feature for of Sistar's sponsorship, and all of that disappeared. And again, that's that's concerning that you can't successfully renew your contracts in that regard. Though a renewal, it, again, is not nearly as hard as getting a sponsorship in the first place. And the fact that they couldn't get renewals, that's something that is deeply concerning and it's reflected in the numbers that were revealed at the AGM. And how much of that do you think, how much of broadcast cost plays into that? I think when you have when you have a good sponsor, when you have good sponsorship money, you're going to want to present those sponsors by by giving a good broadcast for your for your events. And I see I see the 2022 expenses and the IT related costs was almost $100,000, which was pretty much the same I believe from 2021, about 90 plus thousand uh, dollars for IT related costs, but they can't update the website by the way. Um, but the uh, broadcast costs were $31,000. I think. I think you have an obligation to put forth a good, a good quality broadcast when you when you're counting on uh, income from your sponsors. I think you want to present them. You want to give them something back, or just have games. Period. I mean, Amon <laughs> can vouch for this too. I mean, you know, me and Amon were there in Texas last year for the ODIs, right? And uh, Amon was on the broadcast. I was on the broadcast. But the point is, we had a broadcast to be on. Right? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a sponsor. Right. What what bang are you getting for your buck if, if there's no right. games to showcase your ad signage on the team's jersey? Yeah, agree with uh, you. And that's again, that's where USA is dropping the ball. How many t- times are we going to have a conversation about why is the Audi Cup not happening on an annual basis? Absolutely. Yeah, it was yep. brought up at the AGM. Oh, we're going to talk about getting the Audi Cup returns. They, they said that yeah. last year too. They did say that yeah. last year. But yeah, there we go. They said it last year. They said it the year before. They said it the year before. Nadia proposed a couple years ago. We're going to have women's Audi Cup. Well, that hasn't happened. Uh, you know, and it's the easiest thing cost-wise to do, logistics-wise, everything, 
And especially now that Canada has ODI status, what are we waiting for? There's this mentality of waiting for the, the kind of the pot of gold, the, the magical leprechaun T20 matchup with a full member. And, and if, until we get a matchup with whether it's West Indies or England or, or South Africa, well, then I, you know, other T20Is aren't worth staging. And that, that's it's such, such a ridiculous mentality to have. Right. You know, why, you know, why are we waiting until May 20, May, May 2024? Why can't we organize uh, an Audi Cup this month? Or in January, or February, with Canada, why are we waiting until May? You know, May twenty. Canada, I'm sure, would like some prep too. If there's no broad matches to broadcast, the sponsors aren't going to have anything. Why are they going to pay money? What are they going to uh, pay for? We, like you said, we haven't had a T20 international men's outside of a outside of a qualifier since uh, since Ireland in 2022. We got three hundred and sixteen thousand dollars, three hundred seventeen thousand dollars in sponsorship money, and we spent thirty one thousand on broadcast. That's one tenth of what we got from sponsors. And I, I mean, if you're not going to give some value to to the sponsorship, then nobody's going to sponsor you. And I feel like that's the proof right there. You know, the fact that we lost all that sponsorship uh, money is, you know, we didn't have enough. Uh, you know, we, we taught they talked about it. The AGM that 2023 was a landmark year because of all the events we had. How many of those events were necessary? We didn't have a men's national championship. We, you know, and it's not just having events too, Nate. Like it's also making sure people know that we're having these events. We we didn't know about the the under nineteen nationals maybe a couple of weeks out, the under sixteen before a couple of weeks out. So you're not even giving people an opportunity, even if you were to put on a broadcast, to turn these things on. Um, and I, it's, again, and for sponsors, you can't even map out. Hey, these are the matches we're gonna have. Here's a schedule. You can't give. You know, if if you're sponsoring, you're like, okay, what's your broadcast schedule look like? Well. You have nothing to give them in that regard anyway. Even if you said, okay, we're going to broadcast this many matches, but well, what's the schedule? What are the dates? There's none of that. It's like, okay, we might have this match. We might have this. We might have this tournament. And they're kind of flexed around these couple of months. Well, I don't think there's sponsors that are willing to put up with that, really. And a perfect case in point that I'm on is the under-17s. The under-17 nationals, okay, they, they made such a big deal pumping this thing up over the course of the year. With hubs and zonals and all that, leading into first ever under seventeen nationals and under 23, 23 nationals. Okay, if you're a sponsor and you want to invest in something long term, I'm going to invest in the under seventeen nationals. Well, they're no more. <laughs> they happened a couple weeks ago in Texas, and already USA Cricket is saying we're not going to have under seventeen nationals anymore. If if they've got other events that they're going to prioritize, that they feel this is a better development path, fine. But you had Parth Patel. Scored double hundred in the under seventeen nationals. True, true. The kid out of St. Louis. That should be something. I would like to think, anyway, that you would want to hype up and publicize and put in big neon lights and say, "Hey, this is the tournament where Parth Patel made history. He scored a double hundred for whatever zone he was playing for." That he's representing right. you know, in the Sid Star Nationals. Yeah, yeah or whatever. And this yeah. is the under seventeen national championships and. Who's going to be the next kid who's going to, you know, be the tournament MVP next year? Who, you know, will somebody get to a, a double hundred and equal Parth Patel success? Um, who, who else might challenge him for tournament MVP honors in 2024? And so already you've undercut that potential for our kids to get, you know, if you were a kid that just participated in the under 17 nationals and you're already being told that ah, this thing's not even going to happen next year, if you're a parent, why did I even send my kid this year? What the hell was the point of that? Uh, did we just waste our money sending our kid to under seventeen nationals if they're not going to do it on an annual basis? So that you know we were sold on the history making nature of this event, first ever. This is going to be first ever, and 
it's going to be here for the long term, and they're committed to that for the under twenty threes, right? Which I like. Okay, but why did they waste all that money and energy and manpower to do it for the under seventeens, only to pull the plug after one edition? Again, that that just shows the the kind of muddled mindset at the leadership level in, in the U.S. And, and honestly, I don't. I think most of us would have told you before you, they did the, uh, sorry, the under 17s, that it was it was kind of a silly thing to do in the first place. The the overlap between under 17 and under 19, we don't have enough young men playing cricket in this country to, to justify both of those things, if you ask me. The overlap is huge. And same thing with the overlap between the U17 and the U15. The overlap there is huge. I think if you took those three tournaments and you look at the number of unique cricketers involved, it, you could fill up two tournaments, not three. I, I do like that they're scrapping the U-17, I, I, but I would have rather them not had the 17 in the first place. They, I don't think there was ever a justification for it, to be honest. The biggest gap to bridge isn't that level of cricket anyway. The under-19 level, you have kids coming through that circuit. It's post the under-19 team is where you lose a lot of cricketers, and that's why, to Peter's point, the under-23 tournament's a great addition for them. And so let's let's put some more things in that area for those kids who okay, if you didn't make an under-19 team you, or you did make an under-19 team, let's put you on a pathway where you can play for the U.S. team and it's not, all right, I made the U.S. 19 team or I did it, and now, well, now real life starts, college starts, and there isn't a pathway for more cricket. And again, we have minor league, we have major league, but there, the U.S. pathway is needed there. And again, when I heard about the U-17, Rishi Bande and I were talking about it, and he had to go, he went to go play that tournament. And I'm like, well, Rishi just, he played the U-19 tournament. What did you see from him a month ago playing the U19 tournament that you're going to see now in this U17? Adi Gupta would like, you had these kids who, or Adi Gupta wasn't there, but you had these kids who have played both, Parth was there. Like you have these kids who right. played both tournaments for a, for no particular reason, it feels. And Rishi missed minor league cricket games to go play in U17 games where he's actually, because, yeah. he's going to get playing time in minor league. Minor league's helped him a lot. He's opened minor league cricket games for, you know, a, a quite a, quite a, quite often. And, you know, we've talked about how his, you can't judge him by his stats because in 2022 he was batting with, uh, with Rakeem Cornwall and you're not scoring many ones and twos with Rakeem Cornwall at the other end. So, but, but, but I mean, my point is he, he's passing up better, ch better cricket chances to do that. Well, there's, there's two things I want to follow up on here, Nate, with you. Yeah, the conflicts in dates, the clash. Oh, of my God. Okay. Oh, my God. This is my so favorite one. We already experienced <laughs> that, okay, and, and already your reaction, you know where I'm going with this. But we've seen it firsthand, okay? You, you had the under-17s at a time when you were asking kids to pick and choose over minor league, okay? And the under-23 kids are the same thing. There were kids uh, in those squads who had to face the same dilemma potentially okay usa is a country that's blessed with venues and weather where you can play cricket 12 months a year very different from other countries they and yet for some reason usa administrators in the past and in the future are seemingly determined to schedule events that create the biggest clash that they possibly can and we saw that at the agm where they've unveiled that they want to have men's 50 over national championships with an eye ostensibly towards building up a squad for reshaping a squad for the start of Cricket World Cup League 2 in August, the end of next summer. But they're doing that. They've slated that on the calendar at a time when 
it's inevitably going to clash with Major League Cricket Season 2. You didn't make a 50-over national championship a priority this year for whatever reason. You can say for financial reasons, budget reasons, okay, whatever. Okay, But now you're saying we're, we're making this really important. So we're going to schedule it at a time when every decent 50-over cricketer in our setup right now is going to be chasing the dollars that are on offer in MLC, rightfully so. Rightly, yeah. MLC is going to subsidize their cricket endeavors over the course of the rest of the year, just in the course of three or four weeks. Why wouldn't they go play in MLC and prioritize that? When you've got so many dates in the calendar, I, I don't know why you're determined to do that. And and it's not just on the men's side. We saw on the women's side, it was unveiled for some inexplicable reason, in my mind. They said, we're going to have a, a women's invitational T20 series in June 2024. What kind of exposure and what kind of promotional ability are you going to get for that event? If you're, if and it realistically, is it even going to be possible? You're claiming, oh, we're going to have a women's C20I series on American soil in June 2024. Is there going to be a venue available at that point in time during the men's World Cup that's happening? You're going to bury that event if you even pull it off. Right. It's buried. No one will watch it. Yeah. Nobody will watch it. Nobody will pay attention to it. Nobody will know what's going on. Because it's going to be in the shadow of the men's World Cup, right? Okay, and a, but b, even if you are able to do it, where are you going to be able to do it? You're not going to be able to do it in Dallas. You're not going to be able to do it in New York. You're not going to be able to do it in Florida. Right. Are you going to be able to do it in Morrisville? Maybe Morris. Maybe Morrisville gets. Are you going to be able to do it? Um, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be. Are there. you going to? Do are you going to do it at Moosa? <laughs> I mean, where where is it going to happen? Um, that's it, a that's a head scratcher. And you know, I would like to see it happen in Morrisville if it happens. But why did Morrisville get rejected? As a, right. a men's T Twenty World Cup hosting site, please answer that. It was they did have the infrastructure upgraded to a, a standard where the T Twenty World Cup men's uh, administrators felt like they could comfortably award matches. So you're saying, okay, and I, as much as I love Morrisville, and you guys know that, effectively what that's saying is Morrisville is an inferior venue because it doesn't have the the same facilities and infrastructure that. Grand Prairie has, or Waterhill has, or the venue, the Papa venue in New York. So, what, what do you, what, what message is that sending to the women? Morrisville wasn't good enough for the men's World Cup. It's inferior, but it's good enough for the women. That doesn't send a good message. I, I still think if you can pop up a whole venue in New York, you can pop up a couple of bathrooms and and a change of rooms in in in, in uh you know here, or just invent in permanent infrastructure a couple hundred thousand bucks or half a million bucks or whatever. But but that said, um, I wanted to make a point. You know, we're talking about the clash between the, the USA U50 men's national, the U23 men's national, and them colliding with the, the Major League Cricket. Well, the dates we think Major League Cricket will be held, which are the only dates that really make sense. Maybe this is what USA means when they say they're striving towards USA Cricket and ACE operating independently. Maybe this is what they mean by that. <laughs> That that that's look as someone who's you know been been to to both events right. This is something that should be collapsed. Like there's, it's mind boggling that's not seen that way. Minor league ace Casey was awarded the domestic T20 structure in minor league cricket. Boom, and we play T20 cricket. So there you go. And major league, you're giving your players, your domestic players, an opportunity to play under the brightest lights with the biggest audience and to make probably the most money that they'll make in a tournament their entire careers. You're giving guys like Anastas Genjigay, who's played for the U.S. team for several years now, 
an opportunity to go play the ILT ILT twenty because he played and performed in Major League Cricket, and now you're saying, oh, well, we're going to operate independently, and we don't care what the schedules are, and we're going to make cricketers pick and choose between either playing for the U.S. team or playing in Major League Cricket. This has to be a collaborative effort. So the thought of these two organizations operating independently was kind of mind-boggling to come away from that, and that people want that to be. Well, and also on that point, okay, and it won't escape anybody who isn't paying attention to that event, the AGM, okay, you've got MLC. Whether you like it or not, MLC is the flagship event now in U.S. cricket in terms of T20. It is the, the marquee event, okay? And that's the one that they're hoping will produce players to play for the national team, whatever. And then underneath that, you've got minor league cricket. Okay. Super important. Okay. In its own way, minor league cricket is also helping to funnel players into the T20 pathway for USA to try and get the national team. What is with this absurd beyond stubborn obsession that USA Cricket's administrators have with also wasting money <laughs> scheduling their own T20 National Championship or a T20 Intuigue event. I, I, you know, we had the discussion just now about the under-17s. Whether you agree with it or not, okay, they, they've pulled the plug. You both feel like it was a waste of money. I don't necessarily disagree. My point of view is if they had it, they should have kept going with it. Your point of view is they shouldn't have had it in the first place, which I also, it's a very fair point, Okay. Now, if they pulled the plug on the under-17s because they felt there was too much overlap or it just wasn't necessary, what justification are they using for having <laughs> two separate T20 tournaments at their own expense, the T20 Men's Nationals and this T20 Interleague? Uh, it, it just is mind-boggling to me. And especially in the case that I know one of the arguments they make is, oh, well, there's some players not on MLC squads, the, you know, the franchise situation mlc owners have their own priorities and minor league franchise teams you know the owners it's, it's all private so there could be some players who slipped through the cracks who didn't maybe didn't get to a tryout with an M milc or an mlc team okay so what you're telling me is the 521st best player who just missed out on minor league cricket he's he slipped through the cracks Right, right. You know, this is this is you know we're not talking about a guy who, an Ali Khan, right? Who who's uh, you know back in 2015 was was off the radar, didn't play for USA, and showed up and you know a can't miss prospect. Okay, he was he was one of about 40 or 50 guys on the US radar. Right. So he at that point in time, you could say, all right, he maybe he was 41 or 42. He was he was sure. Right. So he's 420. He's, he slipped. He slipped through the cracks at number forty-one. You don't have people slipping through the cracks like you just said, Nate, at five hundred twenty-one. Yeah. Okay, so don't tell me we need to have this national tournament because somebody might have slipped through the cracks who didn't make it onto a minor league cricket roster. Yeah, you don't slip through the cracks when you're the five hundred twenty-first best player. You might slip through the cracks when you're the fortieth or fiftieth best. When you're five twenty-one, you don't slip through the cracks. I'm sorry. There's there's no justification to have a separate national championship in my mind. And not just that. The sanctioning money that they're collecting for these tournaments across the country. Right now we have the USPL happening in Florida. 18 cameras are on this thing. A lot of major league and minor league players are playing in this tournament. There are players that didn't play in minor league that are in this tournament. These, you're you're going to tell me that these types of tournaments where their players are getting money, they're getting paid, so they're going to want to perform. You're going to tell me that, you, that these types of tournaments don't factor into your decision, decision for making the USA team? They should. Beyond that, Right way or wrongly, you can believe that or not believe it. But the reality is, these events, U.S. Open, U.S. PL, 
they've effectively subsidized all the USA right. costs of needing yes. to do their own tournaments. Yep. You don't need to do your tournaments. If these no. people are willing to waste their money yeah. putting up their own tournament, they've subsidized. You, you don't, again, it further underscores the point. They're spending money to showcase these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you can choose to pay attention to these events. Or you can choose to put stock into these events in terms of USA selection for the T20 national team, whatever. That's up to you. If you're a selector, right. you can you can pay attention or not pay attention. It's a private event. Okay, I'm not going to pay attention. So be it. Okay. I would, everything I would look at. I would look at it. Okay. But, it, you know, the point is, if all these people are spending money to put on these events, and you're claiming USA in the past has been in debt due to budget issues because of fiscal irresponsibility, of all the priorities that exist in the U.S. cricket ecosystem, why are you throwing money? Why are you throwing money at a problem that other people have found a solution for. Yeah. You know, T20 cricket is being solved by all these other private organizers. 100%. If you've got other people doing that for you, why, Yeah, and you, again, you're an organization that has had trouble d- dividing up your money in terms of where to spend it, where to focus it. You know, there was a question at the AGML. We, we haven't been able to afford to invest money in college cricket because USA got ODI status and uh, we've also had the T20 World Cup to prepare for. And so uh, we don't have any money to left over to, to invest in, in college cricket. But we are going to make it a priority at some point down the road. Uh, okay. <laughs> you didn't have money for college cricket. You know, why are you throwing it at this other stuff where everybody else has been throwing money at it that they're doing it for you? You don't need to actually dip into your own pocket. Again, it just doesn't make any sense. No, 100%. And not only that, but minor league cricket's supposed to be the national championship. It is, per the agreement, supposed to be the national championship. That's what it's been called every year. And actually, this past year, I, I don't know if they called it that on the big old banner. I, I, I remember see, I, they might not have called it that on the banner, um, but it's the, it was the national championship. And so... How are you having a senior men's 20 over interleague nationals and a senior men's T20 national championship? If I'm a minor league owner, this is irritating to me because, you know, this minor league is is our domestic system. This is our domestic product. This is something that that USA needs to maximize, not minimize. And it's just it's just a bad, a bad partnership. It's, It's if this is how they're treating the sponsors, it's no wonder that they're leaving. Yeah, and again, going back to Peter's point, it's a cost-saving option to say, hey, yeah, let's work with the leagues. But it also feels like this is just an ego thing at the end of the day, too. It feels like oh, if our name's not on it, then it doesn't matter. And that's very frustrating because I think there's a lot of people and a lot of places that just want cricket to grow, you know? And I think, you know, the three of us definitely are part of that contingent. And I'm sure that there's, and there's plenty of people like that who just want cricket to work. In this country, and you have all of these things. Minor league cricket is a good thing. USA cricket is a good thing. Major league cricket is a good thing. And if these three, you know, these couple of things would just learn to work together, and the egos are kind of left at the door to get the cricket forward, then you start making that progress. And that's the most frustrating thing coming out of the AGM. It feels like okay, you cleared out your seven hundred thousand dollars in debt. You got seven hundred thousand, you know, your money from the other category. You're stri- You're working towards a World Cup, whatever. There still feels like there's this huge. You're still back where you were in 2018, almost, and you haven't found a way. Forward. And that's part one of our chat with Peter Della Pena. Stay tuned for part two, where we'll continue to dive into the USA Cricket AGM 
Don't forget to follow Emerging Cricket and Big Innings on YouTube and Instagram, and take a look at Emerging Cricket on Patreon as well. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you again soon.